Our speaker today is Nate Wilson, Pastor Chuck Wilson's son. Hi everyone, welcome to New Hope Community Church. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, another service over over um, YouTube because we're still not able to meet, but we will be meeting on June 14th on Sunday, so um, just remember that. And then we're also doing communion this Sunday, so uh, make sure you have your cup and bread ready. And uh, today we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 to 6. I've titled this sermon, The Quarantine Blues. Uh, I don't really have an introduction um, or uh, any stories or anything like that. I was, I, I found myself in quarantine uh, more disgruntled and complaining. So I, I looked to the scriptures to see what the Bible says about complaining. And, and I felt really convicted. And I said, hey, maybe I'll share this when I speak. So this is what's led me to this text today. And uh, we're going to be in, in the book of Numbers. And just to give us some context... Uh, if you if you remember the Israelites were were in Egypt they were being, they were enslaved to the Egyptians and God raises up Moses and Aaron to deliver them out of uh, Egypt and into the Promised Land and but before they make it to the Promised Land they wander in the wilderness for a little bit they hit some bumps in the road and that's where we're going to be looking at today the the Israelites are in between Egypt and they're in between the Promised Land they're making their way to the Promised Land. And that's where we're at in this text. The Israelites are in the wilderness. They are wandering. They're making their way to the land of Canaan. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 1, and and then we'll go from there. And we're going to be looking at um, four principles of complaining we see in this text. So here we go. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed, and the Lord, he prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So that place was called Taberah because fire from the Lord had burned among them. Then the rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, "If only we had meat to eat! We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onion, and garlic." But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So we have the Israelites. They're, they're in the wilderness and now they're complaining about their hardships. You know, what exactly were their hardships? Well, it's, it's hard to say. We see that in verses 4 to 6. It's, they, they complain about having, not having enough variety on the menu. They're complaining about the food they're eating. They're eating manna from heaven, which is literally just bread. God is giving them bread from heaven to eat as they make their way to the promised land. But yet in all of this, they're still complaining. And then we see the Lord's response. He sends fire from heaven and it consumes the outskirts of the camp. And God is essentially sending a warning shot. He's saying, persist in your complaining and I won't miss next time. You know, He's sending them a warning. And then the Israelites see the fire around their camp and they all start complaining to Moses, Moses, help us, help us, help us, Moses. And Moses intercedes on their behalf to God, and God relents his judgment. And then the text tells us that the place where all of this happened is called Tabra, which literally just means burning. And then we get to verses 4 and 6 where the Israelites start complaining again. And then we see what their complaint is actually about in this passage, and it's that they are only eating bread. They want uh, a variety of food. They want meat. They want fish. And among other things. So the first principle of complaining we see, though, is in verse 1. 
And it's that complaining is insulting to God. Complaining is insulting to God. And we see that in verse 1. I'll read, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord, and when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. So we see the people complain, and then the Lord sends fire from heaven. And you might say at first glance, wow, God, this is pretty harsh to send fire on people just for complaining. And when I read it, I thought the same thing. I was like, I complain 20 times a day. I'm like, I mean, I don't see any fire coming down from heaven to consume me. And, you know, we might think that at first glance and, and yeah, it makes sense. But as we know, like the Lord, when he acts, he's always just and everything he does is right. So it's important to really evaluate what is going on here. And I think to see what to see this from God's perspective, the complaining of the Israelites, we have to go back to Exodus. If you guys remember back when the, the Israelites were in Egypt, they were complaining and wailing to God. They were saying, God, please help us, save us. We're in slavery. We're in bondage. Free us. And God hears their cries and he hears their prayers and he sends Moses and Aaron and he raises them up to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. And it's not that he just delivered them. He did it in miraculous, supernatural fashion. He sends the plagues on the Egyptians, and yet he spares the Israelites. He, he sends the plagues just on the Egyptians, but they are never inflicted upon the Israelites. And if that's not enough, God, God rescues them. He delivers them, and then he parts the Red Sea for them to cross. And the Israelites cross it, and then he has the, the sea crash on the Egyptians. So we see he's rescuing them, he's delivering them in a supernatural way. And then, not only that, but he, he gives them a pillar of fire to follow in, follow in the night, and a pillar of cloud to follow in the day. And he's doing all these supernatural things to save the Israelites. And then this text tells us that he's sending bread from heaven. There's literally bread falling from heaven for the millions of Israelites to eat as they head towards the promised land. And he gives them water from a rock. So he's providing bread and water and he's giving them these supernatural uh, things to follow. So we see the Lord is rescuing the Israelites in a supernatural fashion. And yet in all this, the Israelites have the audacity to complain to God. They have the audacity to say, God, I see what you're doing, but it's not enough. They're saying, we need more. Like, we are experiencing pain and suffering, and we need more. You know, we're not content with the situation we're in, and we see that they're complaining because of it. And we don't really know what they're complaining about in verses 1 to 3, but verses 4 to 6 tell us it's not having enough variety on the menu. You know, all they had was bread from heaven, and they're saying, we need meat and fish. And, it, and really what they're looking at is they're seeing what they don't have and they're not really reflecting on what they, what they do have from God. They're seeing everything around them that isn't theirs and they're saying, we need that, God. And that's what's leading them to complain. And, you know, now we might be thinking, wow, these Israelites really are just not content. You know, they're, they're really just ungrateful. God has provided these miraculous um, ways of deliverance from the Egyptians, and yet they're still complaining about just eating bread? Like, come on. But I think it's really important to look at our own lives and ask ourselves this really important question, and that is, what do we have that we have not received? You know, what has been given to you? What do you have that has not been given to you? I mean, think about it. The very salvation we have is from God. The faith that we profess is given to us by God. Our friends, family, houses, wealth, it's all from God. None of, none of these things are by our own doing. We have not earned any of this. 
In Exodus 4, God says, He is the one who gives people sight. He is the one who gives people working legs and, and limbs that work, arms that move. It's the Lord. He gives us everything. And yet we have the audacity to complain before God about what we don't have. But God is, God is, you know, his anger is aroused because the Israelites are just being ungrateful. They don't realize all that's been given to them. And I think Tim Hawkins, I don't know if you know this guy, but he's a Christian comedian. But I think he does a really good job of, of illustrating this idea. And in one of his uh, stand-up uh, routines, he tells this story about uh, uh, ungrateful kids. And he, he takes his kids to Six Flags for a day. And, he, and he's talking about it. And he's like, I spent $500 in one day just at Six Flags, this amusement park, for my kids. And he's like, yeah, and it was great. It was a good time. Everyone had fun. And then he talks about they were leaving. They're driving home now. And he, and he hears this in the back of the car. He hears... <laughs> <laughs> and he, he looks in the rearview mirror and he sees his daughter crying and he's like, honey, what's wrong? And she's like, <laughs> Billy's parents took him to Disney World for a week and we only went to Six Flags for a day. <laughs> we hate you, Dad. And he, and he looks in the rearview mirror and he's like, honey, look up here. Look up at me. And he just takes his hands off the wheel. He's like, I don't care anymore. He's like, I don't want to hear that. He's like, I just spent 500 bucks for my kids and they, they're complaining about not being at Disney World. I mean, do you, do you now, I think that really helps us understand what's going on. The Israelites were given so much by their heavenly father and yet they looked at what they didn't have and that's what led them to complaining. And that leads us to our, our, second, our second principle of complaining in this passage. And that is complaining is worldly. Complaining is worldly. And we see that right in verses 4 and 5, where Moses says, Then the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. So let's look at the chain of events. What do we see? We see the, the rabble is craving other food, and they're complaining. And then the Israelites follow in their steps, and they also start complaining. So now we have to ask the question, who are the rabble? Well, it's it's... It's an interesting word that Moses uses, but I'm not sure if you knew this, but when the, the Israelites left Egypt, they actually had foreigners come along with them. So the, the Hebrews, the Israelites, were not the only people enslaved to the Egyptians, but there were actually other foreigners as well. And even some Egyptians left with them. So what we see is the foreigners start complaining among the Israelites, and then the Israelites follow in their footsteps and start complaining too. And we see this run so contrary to the function of Israel in the Old Testament. Because listen to what God says to Abraham, the father of Israel. He says, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. What is he saying? He's saying that the Israelites, through their obedience to God, other nations will be blessed around them. And, and Isaiah says something similar in, in, in uh, Isaiah 42.6. He says, and it's God speaking, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. So what do we see is that the Israelites are supposed to be blessing other nations through their obedience. They're supposed to be a light in the darkness when all the other nations around them are worshiping all these false gods and engaging in idolatry. They're supposed to be the ones that are being obedient to God. They're not supposed to be engaging in idolatry, but worshiping the one true God, being obedient to him. While everyone around them is complaining, they're supposed to be the ones that are grateful. 
And we see that this is so backwards in this text because what's happening, the foreigners are complaining and then the Israelites follow in their steps. The Israelites who are supposed to be a light are also complaining because the foreigners started complaining first. They weren't so contrary to the Israelites' function in the Old Testament. They were supposed to be a light. They weren't supposed to blend in with the darkness. And the same is true for us. Uh, Paul, Paul, I mean, how many times have you heard Christians say, I just want to be a light in the darkness. I want to be different. I want my life to be a witness to God. I want to glorify God with my actions. How many times do we hear that? We hear it all the time. And Paul gives us a real practical way to do that, to be a light. He says to do this. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So what is Paul saying? He says, you want to be a light? You want to be different? Stop complaining. Stop arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. He says, you want to stand out in a crooked and depraved generation in a disgruntled, uh, discontent culture? He says, stop complaining. Stop arguing. He says, this is how you will shine. You know, you see the stars in the sky. You want to shine like that? You want to be seen like that? Stop complaining. It's so simple. And that's how we can glorify God with our lives is just stop complaining. You know, be grateful for what you have. And that leads us to the third principle of complaining that we see in Numbers 11. And that is that complaining is a product or an outcome of discontentment. Complaining is a product or an outcome of discontentment. And what do I mean by contentment or as I say discontentment? Well, when I say contentment, I mean it's being satisfied or, or that the idea that something is sufficient for you or that you're fulfilled. So when I'm saying that complaining is a product of discontentment, what I'm saying is complaining is an outcome of being unsatisfied, of being unfulfilled or something that where, where something is not sufficient for you. And you might be saying, all right, well, where do we see this back in Numbers 11? Well, let's look back at verses 4 and 5. What is the, the essential problem of the Israelites? Well, here the Israelites complain and they start wailing. They said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, the cucumbers, melons, leeks, and onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So what are they saying? What is their problem? They're saying that, you know, if we had a variety of food on the menu, then we would be content with our situation. But, you know, when they did have a variety of food, which we see back in Egypt, then they would be content, right? No, even in Egypt, they were still complaining and they were still disgruntled. Why? Because they were in bondage to the Egyptians. It makes sense. They should have been disgruntled. But then now they're not enslaved to the Egyptians, but they don't have a variety of food. So now they're complaining about not having a variety of food. So maybe we might, we might want to ask now, well, what if the Israelites had, they were freed men and women, and then they had a variety of food on their menu? Maybe then they would be content. Well, we see that when they enter the promised land, they're freed men and women, and they have all the food they could want, and yet they're still discontent. They still are pursuing other things. They're still complaining. And uh, Jeremiah has this, says this indictment against them. He says they've chased after worthless idols and they've become worthless themselves. You see what's going on is they were pursuing all, the, all these things in the world to make them happy. They thought, 
oh, they would see this over there and they'd be like, oh, that'll make me happy, that'll make me happy. And they go after it. And for a while it does, it does make them happy. They are happy with what they have, they're satisfied. But then they see something else and they're like, oh, I need that, I need that. And they go after it and they get it and then they're satisfied for a short time and then it fizzles and then, then they look for something else and say, oh, it's this that will make me happy or that that will satisfy. And it does for a short time, but then it fades. And this is the point that I really want to get to you guys is that happiness in this world, contentment in this world is an ascent with no peak. You'll keep on climbing, but you'll never get there. And I know it's easy to say as Christians, and I'm sure you see where I'm going with this, is that our true treasure as Christians is only in Jesus Christ. Contentment can only be found in Jesus Christ. And that will lead us to not complain. And it's easy to say that. It really is. But is it actually true for our lives? I mean, tell me how many times you've seen this play out in church or, or you've seen something along the lines of this happen. You see... You see a Christian, Christians go on a mission strip and they go and, and we'd say they have like a spiritual awakening there. They, they, they rekindle their relationship with God and they feel so close to him and they come back and we would say they're on fire for God. You know, their emotions are flaring and it's really awesome. They really do have this spiritual awakening. And then someone come, they, they come home and then they, they speak in front of the church and some, someone says something along the lines of this. They'll say, yeah, at one point we went into uh, a poorer area of town and we saw how uh, just the, the poverty there, we saw how impoverished the people were and yet they were still so happy and they had so little. And it's like, I wish I were that happy. I wish I were as happy as they were. And I mean, do we see the problem there? Do we see the problem with that thinking? What is that person subtly saying? I thought material possession and wealth equate to happiness. Do we see the problem with that? Christians who say that Jesus is their greatest treasure are still unhappy because they're pursuing satisfaction in the world. And it's an even greater problem because think about, like, look at that whole situation. What's going on is there are people, impoverished people who don't even know God that are more content with having way less than Christians who know God and have so much wealth and yet they're still unhappy. And yet they claim that Jesus is their greatest treasure. Do you see the problem with that? Unbelievers who don't even know God are more content than Christians who have so much and claim that they know God. Do you see how backwards that is? Our witness is supposed to be a light to people who don't know God. And yet we're just blending in. And the, the fundamental problem is that we're more concerned with buying our happiness than actually knowing God. We're more concerned with buying our happiness than knowing God. And this leads us to the fourth and, and final principle of complaining. And we don't, we don't necessarily see it in numbers, but we see it all throughout Scripture. And the author of Hebrews talks about it in, in chapter 13, verse 5. He says this. He says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I shake you. Never will I forsake you. And this is the fourth principle, and it's that contentment can only be found in Jesus Christ. Contentment can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so if you want to stop complaining, if you want to be a light in the darkness, it's finding your contentment in Jesus Christ. And I'll read Hebrews 13.5 again. He says, Keep your lives free from the love of money 
and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. What is the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying that be content with what you have. And then he tells us what we have. We have God. He's saying that you have God. God says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You know, Is this a true reality in your life? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? Could you lose everything but have God and be content with that? And let's look at, and uh, um, I think of the parable of the pearl. I, I'm not sure if you guys know this, in Matthew 13. It talks about this guy who finds a pearl, and it's the greatest treasure in his life. It's his greatest treasure. And he sells everything. He gives up everything just to have this pearl. You know, is that true for us? It's easy to say that Jesus is our greatest treasure. But is it true? Would you be willing to give up everything for him? Is he your one true source of contentment? I've already said this a few times, but you know, is it true that Jesus is the greatest treasure in your life? You know, it's easy to worship God on, on a Sunday for two hours and, and be like, God, we love you, we praise you, and it's good, and we should do that. But do you do it throughout the whole week? You know, are you giving your time to God? Are you giving your thoughts to God? And I want to let you in on something, that worship never stops on Sunday. Worship continues throughout the whole week. Romans 12.1 tells us that we, are tr we should be true and living sacrifices. We are to be living sacrifices. This is our true and proper worship. Our worship never stops. The object of our worship might change, but our worship never ceases. Our worship is to be continual, weekly. It's supposed to last forever. It's never, it doesn't cease. It always continues. You know, is that true for your life? Are you constantly pursuing holiness? Are you pursuing God? You know, what does Jeremiah say? They, they chased after worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Are you pursuing worthlessness? Are you more concerned about filling your mind with worthless entertainment and your stomach with nonsense rather than knowing God? You know, what? I mean, just listen to this. What is this sent? What message does this send God when you go through your whole week and you have, and, and maybe you work for eight hours or something and you eat for the other eight, but it's like, what are you doing with the other eight hours of your life? You know, you work for eight, you sleep for eight, but what are you doing with the other eight? You know, it's, and, and that's what I want to challenge you guys is, you know, are we really content with God or do we just say it? You know, I mean, what message does it send God when you, 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 when you have your free time and, but you choose to, to pursue all these other things? You know, maybe we're just watching TV or just doing house projects. You know, while we've been in quarantine, we've had so much time. I feel like I've had so much more free time and I found myself filling it with just utter nonsense and garbage. And I was filling my time with everything but God. And can you really say that God is your true source of contentment if you're never acknowledging Him or pursuing Him? And that's the ultimate question we have to ask ourselves is, is Jesus the greatest source of our contentment? And now you might be saying, all right, Nate, I'm a discontent, disgruntled, complaining Christian. Where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? Well, before I, I go any further, I want to make a clear distinction that there's, there's a difference between complaining and seeking comfort. And I, I'm not saying that we have to go around with these fake plastic smiles and never, 
ever, you know, express sorrow, grief, or pain. No, we live in a sinful, broken world. There's a time for expressing sorrow. There's a time for expressing, expressing pain and grief and seeking comfort from others. But, you know, there's a difference in saying that, uh, you know, maybe in quarantine that you, you're, you may be struggling financially or, or something like that. And, you know, there's a time to express, you know, pain and grief to others and saying you're just going through a hard time. You know, our family is struggling, you know, and you see comfort from others. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's a difference in, in saying that or saying, you know, something along the lines of this, like, oh, my kids are so annoying right now. I can't stand them. I just want to throw them to the moon so I never have to see their faces again. You know, do you see? I'm using hyperbole, but do you see the difference? You know, one is clearly complaining, but one is seeking comfort. So if you are someone, you know, who's maybe complaining and is uh, discontent and uh, um, ungrateful Christian, I want to offer three remedies, you know, maybe three ways to, to help. And the first would be prayer. You know, God sees our hearts. He sees them. So it's much better to confess your complaints to God rather than uh, complain to God to other people. Do you see what I'm saying? It's good to express your complaints to God through prayer. And there's this idea in the Bible where, if, I don't know if you've read the Psalms, but there are these things called the Psalms of Lament, where people look at the world around them and, and the sin in their own life, and they, they see how uh, unjust it is and the pain and the grief and the sorrow, and they express their laments to God. It's called lamenting. They, they, they don't really know what to say. They're just expressing grief and pain, and that's lamenting, and that's good, and it's healthy. And we want to lament. We want to express our pain and grief and sorrow to God. And we should be doing that through prayer, you know. And, and if, you're, if you have a complaining heart, confess it to God through prayer. It's much better to confess your complaints to God rather than complain to Him to others, about Him to others. And then I want to offer um, a second remedy for the, the complaining heart, and that is to reflect you know, what was the fundamental problem of the Israelites in the wilderness is that when they when they looked back to Egypt, all they remembered was the, the good food. You know, but they, they forgot about being in bondage to the Egyptians. You know, they forgot what God had had did in their life. They forgot what he has done for them. They forgot the miraculous things he did. And as a result, they were ungrateful and complaining. And that's the question I want to turn to you guys. Do you remember what God has done in your life? I mean, he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. Do you remember that? Are we reflecting on that? That should drive us to be content and to be worshiping God because he sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. Is that real to you? Is that a reality in your life? And this one person, they, they gave a, a, a good quote. And uh, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to paraphrase. But they, they said, what if you woke up today with only the things you thank God for yesterday? And I'll say that one more time. He said, what if you woke up today with only the things you thank God for yesterday? And I really think that puts into perspective that we're, we really are an ungrateful people. God gives us everything. James tells us every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. And Job says, it is the Lord who gives. God gives us everything from our house to our family to our very salvation. You know, are we reflecting on that and thanking God for that? 
So, and then there's a, a third remedy I want to offer for those who might be uh, discontent or ungrateful or, or truly suffering. And, and that is to look ahead, to look at the promises God has given to us. Um, you know, you might be able, you might be someone who's truly suffering, truly experiencing pain, grief, and sorrow. And that's normal because we live in a sinful world. And if you are one of those people, I want to urge you to look ahead. Look to the promises of God. Romans 8.18 says that, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying that in my present sufferings, I know that I will be glorified with God one day in heaven. And that makes these sufferings minuscule. They're nothing compared to what I will receive in heaven. So if you are suffering, look to God. Look to the promises. He promises a new heaven and a new earth where we, were, where we will dwell with God and we will remember our, we will have no recollection of the, the pain and the suffering we once experienced. He will wipe away the tears from our eyes. It will all be worth it. A day is coming when our pain and sorrow will be done away with and we will be content, satisfied, dwelling with God. It will all be worth it, the pain and the suffering we experience today. God will wipe away the tears from our eyes and we will be content with Him. So the three remedies are prayer, um, reflection, and looking ahead to God's promises. And as we go to communion, isn't that what this is all about? Reflecting on what Jesus has done for our lives? Remember what Jesus said, He breaks the bread and he says, do this in remembrance of me. He says, remember me when you do this. Remember what Jesus did on the cross and how he resurrected three days later. And just as he resurrected, we will also too when we die. It's reflection. And he says, take this cup and drink it in remembrance of me. Guys, communion is all about remembering what God has done. Are we remembering what Jesus did for our lives? And does that lead us to be content? We, you know, we can't complain about our present situation when we have God. You know, we need to remember. Communion is a time of reflection and thankfulness. And it's looking ahead because Jesus says we're entering a new covenant now. We're entering a new covenant. And that new covenant involves entering heaven, having the Holy Spirit indwell us. God will dwell inside of us, His Spirit. And we can be thankful for that because God will always be with us. If we lose everything around us, we will always have God. You know, is that true? Are you thankful for that? Is that a reality in your life? So as we take this cup now, let's go to prayer. As we, we take communion, let us pray. Then I'll pray and then uh, uh, you guys will take communion. And then uh, there will be one worship song at the end. So I'll pray and then uh, we'll go from there. God, I thank you for for the, the work of your son on, on the cross that Jesus bore our sins. He died and resurrected three days later. And just as he resurrected, we will also experience our own resurrection and enter heaven with you. God, if we experience suffering and pain in this world, we can look ahead to your promises that our suffering will one day cease and we will be glorified with you. And God, if we are uh, discontent and grumbling and complaining about our present situations, 
God, I pray that we reflect on what you've already given us, what you've already done in our lives, giving us our homes, our friends, our family. You've given us so much, Lord. I pray that we are content with these things and that we can live a life that honors you and we can shine like lights in a broken and dark generation through our contentment, through our gratefulness, and through us simply not complaining, Lord. May we we reflect on your holiness, goodness, and grace. Lord, you are so good to us. You've regenerated our hearts and souls so that we are inclined toward you. May we give you honor and praise in all that we do. Amen.